All right, let's start reading on verse 1 of Genesis 19. It says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. Now, something I want you to notice about this, I believe these are the two uh, men that were with the Lord that we saw in chapter 18. And just kind of something interesting about this that we see here, Lot sees them, he sees them afar off, and he runs and bows before them. Now, they're described as angels in here, but in chapter 18, they are described as men. And notice in verse 2 of chapter 18, it says, And he looked up his eyes, and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground. So, obviously, there was something different about these men, these angels, about how they looked that maybe told Abraham and Lot that they were angels. I really don't know for sure, but I do believe there was something different. There was something special about them. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, we're going to see later that the men of Sodom, you know, they they were anxious to get to them. You know, they, they knew they weren't from around there. There was something different about them. And so we see Lot sitting in the gate here, which shows us, too, that Lot, um, Lot was somebody who was uh, in a position of authority in Sodom. You know, the gate is where the people would often come for judgment when there was disputes. So think about, you know, Lot, the Bible tells us that, you know, Lot, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So not only is he, in, you know, just living amongst the, these filth, but he's also the one that's kind of judging them. So imagine the kind of disputes and things that were brought to him in a place as wicked as Sodom was. You know, that's going to wear on you after a little bit. I mean, doesn't that wear on you enough? just listening to the news and things that's going on and just some of the horrible stories that are out there. And a lot, every day, he's listening to these people come and bring their disputes and hear their stories. That would have been, that would have been a tough thing to deal with. But it says in verse 2, And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn and I pray you into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did break unleavened bread, and they did eat. And notice, too, how Abraham and Lot, they were both really anxious to feed these men when they came, too. That was the same thing Abraham did. You know, he went and had them, you know, kill a calf. I mean, he, they, and we see that, you know, back then, and we don't see as much of this today, but this used to be a really big part, even of an Amer uh, the American culture, is just being hospitable and feeding people. You know, my, my grandma, she was that way. You could not go over to her house. If she knew people were coming over, she was making dumplings. That was her thing. You know, she'd make chicken and dumplings, and it was really good. And, it, and if you didn't eat with her, she was disappointed. You know, you'd hurt her feelings. If you didn't stay with her, you know, you'd disappoint her. You'd hurt her feelings. And I'll never forget the first time my wife stayed there. Tommy was just a baby, and she'd never been to Naylor, Missouri. And it is not a pleasant town. And we were going, to, we were going, passing through, and we were going to go see Grandma. And uh, when she heard we were coming, you guys got to spend the night, you got to spend the night. And and so I was like, okay, you know, I was used to going to Grandma's house, but I didn't think about it. my wife. She was pretty prissy, uh, you know, when we got married. You know, her her family had more money and a little more well to do. You know, she's still picky with hotels and things. You know, I, I don't care. You know, I, I I don't care where I stay, and I just need a place to sleep. You know, if I don't feel anything crawling, I don't care if there's bugs as long as they don't crawl on me. And I don't care if they crawl on me as long as I don't notice it. 
You know, but my wife, she's still, we can go to these nice hotels and she's looking under the mattresses, searching for bed bugs. But anyway, um, you know, we're like driving through that town and I'm showing her the, just the wonderful village of Naylor and she's like horrified and did not want to stay there. But I was like, we, we've got to stay here. You know, we will devastate my grandma if we don't because that's, you know, that's how she is. You know, me being more from the north, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of a northern Illinois guy and it's like, I don't want to spend the night at my house. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, you know, it, we put family out. I was offended because one time we had some family stay, some of her family, and they brought their dog. You know, why would people think they can bring their dog, you know, when their family's putting them up? All right? Now, some of you probably do that, but it's like, not me. You don't just, I, I would never assume I could bring my animal to your house. You know, but that's me. I'm, you know. I, I, I'm disqualified from the bishop. You know, I'm not given to hospitality in some I'll do it. I'll do it. But you know what? I don't see where animals are included in that. Okay. But anyway, it's a cultural thing. I'll do it, but it kind of goes against my nature. But they, you know, back then, that's what they did, man. They wanted to feed you. They wanted you to stay with them. And I think one of the reasons Lot wanted them to stay so bad, too, is he knew they're in trouble if they stay out in the streets in Sodom. Because, you know, Lot knew the kind of filth that he lived with. You know, he knew there was a bunch of homos in town. So... Um, we see too, and this is just kind of an interesting uh, thing. We see in Hebrews chapter 13, you don't have to turn over there, but in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, uh, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And now that wasn't a lot here. He, I think he understood who he was entertaining, but at the same time, oh, he might not have. I don't know. They could be talking about a lot, but either way, you know, it's telling us, you know what? Be good to people. You know, be hospitable to people. You know, go ahead and feed somebody, have somebody over, because some have entertained angels unawares. So it's an important thing to be that way, and I think we do need to get more of that in our culture. I really do. I think we need more of that in our culture. And, uh, you know, I think in, he- in Hebrews, I think it's teaching us to treat everyone with honor. Because obviously if we had angels come over, yeah, we you know, we'd pull out the red carpet for them. But, you know, what if it's just some regular person? You know, and we ought to just treat everybody with respect. I think that's what that's teaching us there. But in verse 4 of Genesis 19, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, around both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So this is just a a very disturbing story here because first off, I mean, they just show up and the first night, these filthy animals are just wanting to go after them, ready to force themselves on them. And when they're wanting to know them, we know it's not getting to know them because we see here he offers you know, his daughters to them. You know, it's not a wicked thing to just get to know somebody. Okay? But what they were referring to, it was disgusting. It was perverted. It was a homosexual act that they're wanting to do to these complete strangers. And think about this, too. You've got a city full of queers. You know, do you think these pro- people had any trouble 
getting what they wanted. But the truth is, it with queers and with faggots and whatever, it, you know, we're going to have to put this on private, but uh, later on, but listen, I, 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 we got to tell it like it is. I can't sugarcoat it. I was going to try, but I can't do it. Okay? When it comes to faggots, it is not enough for them to just have a partner. They are not looking to just get married and have, it's not just about love between two people like it is between a man and a woman. Queers seek to defile that which is good. We've got every man from all the corners of the city, young and old. And why do they need these two men? You know why? Because they had not been defiled. That is why they promote their perversion all over the television. That is why they go after children. Folks, there is not a thing, in the, there is nothing natural about pedophilia. Nothing natural about it. These people aren't just sick. They don't just have a mental disorder. These people are vile, filthy animals whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. There's no doubt about that at all. And the only reason they want to go after children is because of the innocence. They can't stand the innocence. They can't stand the purity. I mean, what a blessing it is. Just, you know, all the children that we have around here. I mean, just cute, sweet children. Cannot imagine anything happening to them. I can't, I can't even imagine even the children in here that are not my own. I can't imagine seeing anything happen to them. Even kids that aren't from our church that I don't know to just think about them in pain, to think about them hurt. It bothers me. It grieves me. But these people see children and all they want to do is hurt. They want to harm. They want to defile. Folks, there's nothing natural about that type of thing. There's nothing natural about it. And the reason they go for children is because it's usually all that's left. It's all that's left. So here you've got a city where everybody's defiled, where everybody's corrupted, and then you've got two holy angels show up, and they can't stand it. Folks, the, the reprobates, the queers, they can't stand that which is holy and good. So they seek to defile, they seek to corrupt everything. That is why they work so hard to just get them in every walk of life and in every, you know, in, in places in politics. That's why they're, they constantly want to be in our face. They want to be, you know, in the fast food restaurants. They, they like public jobs where they interact with people. Why? They want to get, they want us to get used to them. Why are they so flamboyant about what they do? Why, why are they so, you know, we don't do anything to show our heterosexuality. But yet, no matter what they do, they got to show their faggotry. Whatever they do, even if they're at a protest, what do they do? They show up. You know, a protest about, you know, they're there trying to keep people to stay in and they got their fag fan out, you know, and why? Acting like they care about public health. Folks, there is no faggot in the world that cares about public health. They don't care about that at all. And, you know, you ask them about the diseases and things that are in, you know, that are in that community. Oh, you know, it's, it's because we don't have, they don't have access to health care. Baloney. Baloney. You think Magic Johnson didn't have access to health care as rich as he was when he got AIDS? He had access to really good health care, so they were able to get rid of his. You know, they, there's a, you know, these people are just sick, and they just love to be out there. They love to be in front of the camera. And that freak was more than ready to talk to a camera, too. I mean, boy, he had his lines out. You know, the nurses are sick and dying. The patients are sick and dying. People can't breathe. I mean, he, he was all ready to go. He had a script all memorized. Hey, you know, what's with the, you know, your fan, you know, your gay pride thing. I am an out and proud, you know, just, I mean, all ready, all ready to go. I hate even imitating him. 
It's disturbing. Why are they doing that? Defiling. Defiling. They can't even handle. They're so anxious to defile. They're so anxious to corrupt. Even when they go out in public, they just got to do something to just put it on display. They declare their sin as Sodom. Folks, they haven't changed. Queers have never changed. They never will change. Never. It, and I, I got so much stuff I want to cover, but boy, you know, we're all, it's almost June too. And just, I can't read Judges 19 without getting mad at queers. You can't help it. So, notice what it says in verse, or so in, uh, in verse 8, Lot goes and offers up his daughters. Why? They're virgins, and so he's offering them a consolation prize. They could get holy angels. You know, or they could get his daughters that were physically pure, but definitely not mentally pure. We're going to see later. And what a wicked thing this was for Lot to do. To offer up his daughters to a bunch of queers. I can't even imagine that. I don't want my daughters, not within six feet of a queer, within six miles of a queer. And he's like ready to offer them up. It's absolutely insane that he would even do this. But it wasn't enough for him. They wanted, they want to destroy that which is innocent and so in verse 9 it says and they said stand back and they said again this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge now will we deal worse with thee than with them and they pressed sore upon the man even lot and came near to break the door listen sodomites also hate anyone who tries to prevent them from defiling like you're going to try to stop us we're going to do worse to you than what we thought to do unto them. And I don't even want to know what they thought to do unto them. And they're, they're ready to do it. They're ready to force this. And you know what? They will hate you worse. They'll hate you worse than the people they seek to hurt. And isn't that why they hate me so much? Isn't that why there's so many queers out there? Boy, I, I can't... Boy, I searched my name on Twitter the other day, and the queers... I mean, I am completely just everywhere on Twitter, just from the queers. It's, just, it's all over the place. You know, I mean, they there there's a zillion YouTube videos. I mean, my name is toast in the online world, thanks to the queers. What have I done? All right, have I ever laid a hand on one? Have I ever hurt any of them? No. But you know what? I have tried to stop them from doing what they're doing. You know, just through preaching, through getting people saved before they become a reprobate, through just exposing these people for the filth they are, and they can't handle it. And they hate me worse than they hate really anybody else. I, I watched one of these these freaks that hate me one time that have made videos. I mean, just set, I mean, calling me everything in the book, and they started talking about pedophilia. And at first, they were acting like you know pedophilia is wrong, but then one pe- person in there kind of like started sticking up for them, and all of a sudden they all started changing their tune. They were talking nicer about pedophiles than they were me. Why? Because they hate those that would try to stop them, and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it, and they're just going to have to deal with it. And folks, listen, you know, I, I don't really talk, you know, do that many sermons about the queers, but just understand, if I do any, it, there's going to be waves of attack towards our church. But, you know, are we going to act like most Americans are when it comes to government overreach and just sit on our rears and do nothing and comply? Or are we going to fight back? Are we going to take a stand? And so, you know, if you want a church that's not going to get attacked for preaching against queers, they're real easy to find. Right. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that. So everybody just needs to understand that. You know, be you know be ready for the occasional, you know, angry mobs of queers. 
because somebody's got to preach against them, and I don't see anybody else in this area doing it. I'd gladly just support the other guy doing it and do it with them, but you know, in, in this area, we're just not seeing it. So it says in uh, verse 10, But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door, and they smote the men that were at the door and the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Listen, judgment and diseases do not cause sodomites to repent. It doesn't. Fire and brimstone is the only thing that stops them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when they get AIDS. It doesn't matter what diseases they have. It, they're going to keep doing what they do. I mean, they're, they literally, there's been people that have tried to pass laws making it illegal to not tell someone that, you know, you have like an STD and things. And you realize that the queers fight that legislation. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really know if I'm a, for that law of making them have to tell people. I think you should have to tell someone if you're going to get married. Okay, but otherwise, because think about it. If they don't have that law, who are the only people that are going to be getting hurt? Queers and promiscuous people. So I would, I would support a law saying, you know, if you're going to marry somebody, you got some STD, you bet you have to let them know. But if you're just going to go fool around, I say no law. Why would we encourage a law that's going to save the lives of queers? Okay, so that's one area where I stand with the queers. All right, they don't have to tell people. All right, and, you know, just let them kill each other off with all their diseases and things. So that's like the one political thing that I, I agree with. I just think they need to make it where if you get married, because you say, well, it's, you know, it's not always queers. You know, that are you know, what about when it's some queer? You know, goes with the opposite sex. No, that's why you don't be promiscuous. Okay? When you get in bed with somebody, you better know them. You better be married to them first. You, know, you better know what kind of person you're going to jump in the sack with. Otherwise, you might get some disgusting, dirty disease that's going to put you in an early grave. So, uh, but if they get it, I really don't care. But uh, anyway, in verse 12, it says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent it to destroy it. So just like you saw in chapter 18, God said, I'm going to go see if what I'm hearing is what it is. And sure enough, it was exactly what people have been crying out about. They had it coming. And folks, the story of the destruction of Sodom is not a sad story. This is not a sad story. This is a good story, one that we should find comfort in. Because let me tell you something about the title I put on, for YouTube on this video. It's a lie. I called it the destruction of Sodom. But the actual title of this message is the coming destruction of Sodomites. Because the proof that God is going to destroy them one of these days is this story right here. This story is what God always goes back to as proof of coming judgment. And we... We take comfort in that because our world is a wicked place. When we're, you know, God wants us to be comforted when, comforted when we are suffering at the hands of wicked people. God wants us to know that people like J.B. Pritzker will split hell wide open one of these days. And it's okay to be thankful for that. God gave us stories like this to prove it. And so we would know it's coming. So this story, this is proving what we know is coming for them. So it says in verse 14, and Lot went out and spake unto the sons-in-law, which married his daughters. And he said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. Okay, And this is what 
This is why it's important to teach about coming judgment, okay? Because his son-in-law, they're thinking, you're mocking, you're making fun. You know, really? But the truth is, you know, people today, they don't talk about judgment. You don't hear most preachers talking about coming judgment today. They don't do it. You know, they don't want to talk about, you know, bring up anything that's going to make people feel bad. But we need to be constantly reminded, the Bible constantly reminded us of this story, so we would know that judgment is coming. And, you know, now it's like people are starting to see bad things happen, thinking judgment's coming, and everybody thinks they're crazy. But we ought to be used to that. You know, we're not surprised that God's judging our, our country right now, but many people are. And I, like I said again, I think the virus is part of the judgment, but I think more of the reaction to the virus is the judgment. And, you know, I'm going to say right now, too, I do think this murder hornets thing, I think is just another example of God punishing us with fear. God sending, I mean, folks, isn't it convenient that the coronavirus is this virus that you can have and not know you can be asymptomatic for weeks, giving us reason to fear? You know, because normally we know who to be scared of. It's the person with the fever. It's the person that's, you know, sneezing, got the mucus coming out all over. But, you know, no, with this, you can be asymptomatic for two weeks. You're spreading it all over the place. So now we're scared of everybody, right? And isn't it amazing, too, one of the things they're saying about these murder murder hornets? Murder hornets? Who named them that? That doesn't even sound good. Killer bees sounds better, but murder hornets. You know, murder is when you're killing in an illegal way, right? So what law did they pass telling bees they couldn't stink it on? Murder hornets that a bee suit can't protect you from. Isn't that convenient? And you know, what's funny, it's kind of a joke right now. Okay, You know, most people are, are spreading the story around as a joke. That ha, Now look what they're trying to scare us with. And some people are getting scared. You know, Some people are getting scared. The murder hornets, and pretty soon, people are going to be sheltering in place. You know, they're going to be going out, you know, watching around for killer bees. You know, I'd rather have the murder hornets, because at least you can fight back at those. I'd rather have the murder hornet, hornets than the invisible enemy. You know, at least, yeah, at least I can kill a murder hornet if one comes after me. You know, swing a baseball bat at or something or get some bug spray or whatever. But good night, folks. It's the, the insanity is big today. The strong delusions, the, the things that are going on. It's, it's very interesting. And, you know, and I, and sometimes it's like people are so obsessed with judgment. You know, it's like they're, they're excited about it. You know, and it's like everything's the judgment of God. You know, you tripped and fell. You know, that's what you get for not paying your tithe. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, like, you know, just chill out, all right? Where's the sanity? It's gone, folks. It's gone. There's no sanity in this country right now. But anyway, it says in verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels heard Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. God was being merciful when he pulled Lot out of there. He was being merciful to him. Lot deserved to go down with Sodom. That's how bad he was. You know, when we get raptured, don't think you deserve to get raptured. It's of the Lord's mercy. We're not staying here for the wrath of God. We deserve it too. Bible says in Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We just sang that tonight, didn't we? Great is thy faithfulness. 
We deserve to go down, and a lot definitely deserve to go down, but God was merciful to them. Verse 17, it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, that thou mightest, or that thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me, saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. No, so notice here, and I'm, I'm going to speculate a little bit here. I can't necessarily prove what I think about this right here. But Lot, they, the angel wants Lot to flee into this mountain. He doesn't want to go to the mountain. He thinks something bad is going to happen. I don't know if there was wild animals. I don't know if it was a dangerous mountain. I, I don't know. I don't know where the mountain was. I don't know for sure where Sodom was geographically speaking. But for some reason, Lot didn't want to go there. He wanted to go to this smaller city that was nearby called Zoar. You know, against what the angel said. Now, because Lot requested it and Lot went to that city, Zoar didn't get destroyed. Okay? Lot entering into Zoar and making that request to go to Zoar actually caused that smaller city to end up being spared. Okay? Now, again, it just kind of goes to show that you know a little bit of salt can make a difference. You know, having some righteous people... While Lot, there wasn't enough of them to make a difference in Sodom and Gomorrah because it was a bigger city, it was enough to make a difference in Zoar. But at the same time, I think it's very possible that it was a mistake for him to go to Zoar because what we see here in verse 23, let's keep reading, it says, The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So I don't know. Maybe if they'd have went to the mountain, they'd have been safe, and she wouldn't have been able to look back. You know, I don't know. Maybe that was why the angel wanted them there. He wanted them to get far away. He wanted to get that city out of their sight. And so because Lot's lazy or whatever and doesn't listen to the angel, goes to Zoar, his wife looks back, turns into a pillar of salt. I don't know. That's just kind of... Uh, what I think is going on right there. But at the same time, though, you know, why was it so wrong for Lot's wife to look back? I mean, I know the angel told them not to look back. But, folks, you know, what usually happens to us when we tell somebody, don't look? Don't we just normally look? Now, the angel didn't say, don't look back or you'll turn into a pillar of salt. Just said not to do it. So, I mean, isn't it pretty natural all of a sudden, the fire and brimstone falls. I want to watch. Okay, Now, I don't think she wanted to watch just because she wanted to see the show. She probably feared for her other daughters that were still in the city. She's got daughters there. She's got granddaughters there. And she looks back, and she turns into a pillar of salt. She's dead. And so look at what it says in Luke chapter 17 in verse 29. So why was it so wrong for her to look back? Well, it says, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, 
He which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So notice how Jesus, when he's talking about these end times, he's telling them, you know, you know, flee into the mountains, don't go get your stuff. And then he says, remember Lot's wife. And then right after he says, remember Lot's wife, he meant, says that statement, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall save it. I would personally believe when she looked back, it just showed where her heart was. You know, her heart was not on the things of God. It wasn't on doing the will of God. Her heart was in Sodom. I think she liked it there. I think she was happy there. You know, there's some people today, if you told them the rapture is coming tomorrow, they'd be disappointed. If you told them the rapture was coming, you know, if it didn't happen fast, if it happened slow, they're not going to be looking up on the way up. They're going to be look, looking down on the way up. That's just how, how obsessed with this world that they are. And so you've got... You know, Lot's wife, she's physically leaving Sodom, but boy, her heart was still there. And so she turns into a pillar of salt. You know, she she was so consumed with the things of Sodom, she literally became all that was left of Sodom. You know, and they believe that Sodom, uh, it was located somewhere around the Dead Sea over there in Israel today. And if you go over there today, there's a big pillar out there that's called Lot's wife. Okay. I don't really think it is. First off, it's huge. All right, she would have been really big if that was Lot's wife. Uh, but there, there's this big pillar there, and it's referred to as Lot's wife. She's literally part of the geography there now. But here's here's an interesting thing about Lot's wife. To this day, she is known as Lot's wife. We don't know her name, do we? I mean, even Jesus called her Lot's wife. What did he say? Remember Lot's wife. Today. She's, I mean, she's got a monument pretty much in, you know, in Sodom, not, what is it known as? Lot's wife. She doesn't have a name. You know, she's just to the forever known as Lot's wife. And, you know, the truth is, you know, what's the, what, you know, what's the spiritual significance of that? Well, first, if you get consumed with the things of this world, you know what? You're going to be good for nothing and forgotten. And, you know, it's interesting in Matthew 5.13, says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. A salt that's lost its savor is good for nothing. Just cast it out, be trodden under the foot of men, forgotten. And you know, we as God's people, we as saved people, we've got a job. We're supposed to be a light to this world. We're supposed to set an example to this world. We're supposed to be making this world a better place. We're supposed to be preserving this world. I mean, boy, if Lot would have just done a little bit of witnessing when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah, he could have, that city could have been saved. All they had to do was get ten righteous people in that city and Sodom and Gomorrah could have been spared, but Lot wasn't even able to do that. Lot was completely worthless for the city that he was in. And that's the last thing that I want to do. I don't want that I don't want our community, I don't want our state, I don't want our nation to get destroyed on my watch. Eventually, we're going to get so bad where God's going to just have to say, enough's enough, I'm done with this place, but I don't want it to be on my watch. 
I don't want it to be when, you know, I'm one of God's ambassadors on this earth and you are too. We shouldn't be okay with that. Look, we are, we are seeing our country just spiral out of control. Our state just spiral out of control. You know, are we cool, are we cool with that? Are we, are we so anxious to see our country die that we're ready to just shred the constitution and everything that's good about this country? Are we ready to do that? I'm not ready to do that. I mean, it, yeah, it's going to happen eventually, but not on my watch. You know, if it's going to happen, I'd kind of like for it to be over my dead body. You know, we're seeing things change big time when it comes to churches. I mean, apparently now we're cool with churches decide when we when and where we can have services. We're, we're okay with them telling us how many people we can have in church. I'm not cool with that. Boy, when the government took over churches... I, 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 you know, do I want to be a part of the generation that let that happen? I'd like to be a part of the, a footnote in history of maybe if somebody who got thrown in jail while that was happening. That's what I kind of like. You know, that thankfully we've got, there's always people like that in history when these things happen. But I just don't want to be one of the mindless lemmings walking off the cliff with everybody else. You know, I'd like to do something to try to preserve it. I'd like to be a voice for good on these things and folks we need to do that you know we need to we need to continue preserving things when it comes to the teachings about homosexuality in churches the the preaching like you're hearing tonight is becoming very very rare i mean people you know preachers they they'll still preach against gay marriage you know they'll still make a few cracks and jokes and things now and then but they're not they're not telling it like it is you know, imagine letting people like we read about in here into churches today. People are doing that. Imagine trying to restore people like that. It doesn't look like God was trying to restore these people here. It doesn't look like it at all. It looks like he came to destroy them. And, you know, and that's, that, that's all, you know, that's all there is. That's all that can be done for them. So, was Lot's wife saved? Well, you could say it was debatable. You know, she did get pulled out. It's like a picture of the rapture, right? Because, you know, all of that discourse that talks about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like every Christian that's consumed with the world. You always wonder, don't you? And, you know, there's a lot of saved people out there. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. But they're not bearing any fruit. They're not doing anything for the cause of Christ. And we always wonder, don't we? You know why? Because they're thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and tried under the foot of men. So if you ask my opinion about Lot's wife... I think she was saved. I just think she was good for nothing. I think she was a really bad Christian, completely worthless, completely consumed with the world, and therefore she could do some good by being an example of God judging his children. So all of us will behave. So she ended up glorifying God, didn't she? And some of us were going to glorify God by doing right and doing good. Some of us are going to glorify God by us being an example of the chastening hand of God. I don't want that to be me. So verse 27, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace, and it came to pass when, uh, when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. So, in reality, it was because of Abraham that Lot was spared. 
It was because of Abraham's request to God to spare him. That was why God let him out. It was because of the request of Abraham. Keep that in mind. Maybe God will spare our country if we'll actually request it. If we'll not cheer on its destruction. If we intercede. Maybe God will spare it. Maybe God will spare our state. God could get rid of our governor if he wanted to. Yeah, he could. God could crash his private jet that he flies around in and they go on vacation. They escape Illinois to go on vacation with. You know, God, God, he could get the coronavirus. You know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of wonderful things could happen if God so chose. But verse 30, and Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And maybe it's because he didn't want them looking after he saw what happened to his wife. I, I don't know, just my opinion. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, uh, nor when she arose. And it came to pass in the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also. And go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when he arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. So this is, you know, this is just a horrible story. It's a horrible story. First off, we got another drinking Christian. We got another Christian who thinks it's okay to drink wine. And I don't want to preach on that right now. But you know, you got a lot of preachers out there, a lot of Christians that want to justify drinking wine. Why? What What is the benefit of drinking wine when it has a potential? Lot did not know what he had done. But was it still wrong? Was it still wicked? You better believe it was. He would not have done it. And think about this too. They get pulled out of Sodom. You can only carry so much stuff. And they carry their wine. It tells me they're pretty sold out to the flesh. Think about that. How much stuff can you take? And they're taking wine? That's just going to weigh you down. That just, you know, it, this was not a good man right here. So it said, um, so the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger she also bare a son and called his name Benamite, and the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. And people, people wonder why the Bible often includes this horrible story. You know, not just of Sodom and Gomorrah, what went on there, but of Lot and his daughters. Like, why did the Bible tell this story? It, was it really necessary to have this story in here? But yeah, it actually was very important for the story to be here because it's sticking with the theme of the book of Genesis. What have I been telling you throughout this whole book? It's showing us how the different nations came to be, especially ones that played a major part in Israel's history. And the Moabites and the Ammonites were a huge part of Israel's history, weren't they? We see a lot of activity between the Moabites and the Ammonites. Really, the only thing good that we ever see is Ruth, the Moabitess, who actually was uh, in the line of Jesus Christ. So think about this too. Lot was actually a great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. You know, through Ruth's line. It's just kind of, kind of an interesting fact right there. But it was always... So, you know... 
the, these, this would have been, again, very important to Israel during that time especially because when this book was written, it was the time when they were going to go in and take that promised land and, the, and you, know, you had the Moabites and the Ammonites and they had a lot of fights with them in there. And it's showing the, their history and how they got started and it was through this disgusting you know, situation that we see in the Bible. So that's one of the reasons this story is here. It's not just a random story. Also, you know, it's showing how this ancient city of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. You know, we kind of saw how it rose up. We saw the other stories um, before with these nations when Abraham went and kind of delivered them. Said so this is this was a major part of history, and God destroying these cities was a major part of their history. So that's why it's there. Okay, it's just this is laying out the facts. It's not that God approved of what was going on. This is this is a terrible story, but it's what happened. But these stories are also here for doctrinal purposes too, just like the other stories that we've looked at in the book of Genesis. And one of the reasons this story is here doctrinally, all right, when it comes to New Testament doctrine, because people want to say, well, this is an Old Testament story. That's how God felt about Sodomites in the Old Testament. Well, in Jude 1, 7, it says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They are an example to us, folks. They're an example to our generation. That's in the New Testament. That's in the book of Jude. That's one before Revelation. Even a dispensationalist ought to recognize that this story is there. For us, 2 Peter 2.6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. You know, God wasn't going to go and make all these big promises about coming judgment and coming destruction without setting some examples, showing him, showing everybody that he's serious about it. That's why he did these things. You know, it'd be like me if I just came and I just, if I just told all of you about my just ability to just really beat the snot out of pretty much anyone. I just told, I just told, no, listen, I might not look like it, but I've got the ability. I can just, I can beat up pretty much anybody. You know, you, you take your best MMA fighter, I could take him. You know, and what are you going to wonder? Well, hey, you know, who have you fought? Well, I haven't fought anybody yet, but I know I could do it. I'm t- and I'm telling you, you should believe me that I could do it. Okay, now you're like, you're not going to believe me, but what if I told you, all right, hey, I don't know any of the fighters out there today. You know, I beat the snot out of him, you know, and I, and I had a track record. Then, if there's some other guy running his mouth, you know, this, you know, some big strong guy, you all might believe me. It's what David did before he went and fought Goliath. What did he do to Saul? He told him, hey, remember the, I, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. I'll take care of this guy too. You know, he had a track record. So God knew he was going to be telling us someday about this coming judgment. So God was going to like, you know, I'm going to give some examples to prove that I can do it and to prove that I will do it. And who better to use it than a city full of queers? And that's what God did. So that's why this story is there. This is proof. This lets us know what God thinks about sodomites. Well, I don't know that God you know, feels that way. I don't see him being killed today. Well, do we have to see it all the time? Does he have to do it every year? Does he have to do it every generation? Does he have to go vaporize every gay pride parade that's out there? No, God did it back then. That should be enough for us right now. It, God doesn't always you know, bring judgment down on people that have it coming. He's going to one of these days, but at the same time, he doesn't do it all the time. He definitely doesn't do it when we want him to. We have these examples. That proves it right there. 
And people can say, oh, God hasn't done anything like that in you know, thousands of years. He's not going to do it again. Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. He is going to do it again. They are going to get what's coming to them. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, shows God serious about judgment. And you know what else we see in this story, too? Another great doctrine we can learn from this story? Once saved, always saved. Because look what it says, too, in verse 7 of uh, 2 Peter 2. And delivered just Lot. And it doesn't mean just, like only Lot. It means just. Really? The guy who seemed like one that mocked when he talked about coming destruction? The guy who couldn't even get ten people saved in his town? You mean the guy whose daughters were so wicked that they did what they did after they got out of Songer? You mean the guy that was going to offer up his daughters to the queers? That just Lot? The guy whose wife was so sorry when she got pulled out, she looks back and gets turned into a pillar of salt? What does the Bible say? It calls him just Lot. Where's his righteousness? In Jesus Christ. That's where his right. Same place our righteousness is, folks. Same place our righteousness is. Delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man. Remember, we talked about Sarah last week. She laughed at first, didn't she? But yet, in Hebrews, she's mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Like God forgives those things. He forgets those things. Isn't that a wonderful thing right there? And He doesn't take away our salvation. If anybody deserves to get their salvation taken away, it's Lot. I mean, I think most people, most I would say pretty much anybody who believes you can lose your salvation would tell you if, they were to put a, if you were to make a list of sins that could get you to lose your salvation, they put incest on there. That's about as bad as it gets. You know, even if you didn't mean to do it, it's still horrible. It's still vile. But Lot didn't get his name blotted from the book of life. Why? Because it's always been once saved, always saved. But, and there, there's dispensations that teach you to lose your salvation in the Old Testament. It referred to just Lot while he was in Sodom. It, 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 that's when he was just. Not after. It's not that he, and you know, maybe they would teach, well, he was saved then, but after he did all this stuff, he lost it, and then he just probably got saved again later. Baloney. No, baloney. This is proof of once saved, always saved. This is more proof from the Old Testament of once saved, always saved. For the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Folks, I don't see Lot as godly. I don't see Lot as just and righteous. You know why? Because I could only see Lot. But thankfully, when God looks at the saved, he doesn't see their sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And we stay saved because of Jesus Christ. Genesis 19 gives us proof of that. Genesis 19 is proof that God will judge the world, proof that he hates sodomites, and we need to learn from Lot's bad example, and we shouldn't wait until the wrath of God is about to fall before we start preaching about judgment. We should be preaching this stuff all the time, always preparing people for it. You know, you know what people ought to be thinking now while they're seeing all this stuff happen in the United States? You know, maybe we ought to listen to that Liberty Baptist Church. You know, maybe we ought to, you, know, you know those people that stopped at my door talking about coming judgment? Maybe we ought to go visit that church. Seems a little more real right now instead of us after the fact. You know, it's, it's amazing all these people that, you know, they predict things, you know, they knew things after the fact. There's no record of them knowing it was coming before. 
Right, but they all knew it after the fact. You know, and, and they, they get a lot of idiots to follow on the internet and stuff like that. But no, we ought we should have already been talking about this stuff. You know, we've been we've been ta- we've been talking about God's judgment for a long time, just wondering when. Like, Lord, when is America going to get what's coming to them? Have you I mean your kids ever done that before? Or maybe when you were a kid, you know, that you see one of your siblings, they're being really bad, and you just know, man, I can't believe they haven't got spanked yet. You know, you know judgment's about to come. It's like, what's, you know, making mom and dad wait? You know, and I remember when I was a kid, I would usually try to help them. You know, I'd make intercession against them. You know, hey, <laughs> you know, mom, look what Christy's doing. You know, I, you know, that was kind of what I used to do. You know, and that's kind of how I felt for a long time. United States, it's like, hey, Lord, you know, when are you going to do something to these people to kind of wake them up? And, you know, and I'm kind of like, I think it was Nahum, I believe it was. I should have looked this up. I think it was Nahum. In his, in his book, he was like praying to God kind of against Israel. Lord, why aren't you dealing with them? And then God said, actually, I am. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to take care of business. And then after he God revealed them what he was going to do, he's like, hey, Lord, take it easy. And I feel like that's what I'm doing right now. You know, I've been praying, hey, Lord, what are you going to shake up America? Now the Lord's shaking us up. Hey, Lord, take it easy. <laughs> but, hey, if Nahum could do it, I can do it too. That's kind of how I feel right now. It's like, all right, hey, t- time for some mercy. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't spank them that hard. You know, it's like, and you do, when you, when you want your brother and sister to get in trouble, you know, you don't want your parents to kill them. All right. But you do want them to get spanked and humiliated, things like that. But it's like, you don't, you know, you don't want your parents to kill them. And it's like, that's how I feel right now. It's like, all right, we learned our lesson. All right, you, you learned your lesson, right, America? Nope, where's my mask? You know, they, 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 no. No, I, it's time to hide from the killer bees, you know, or the, the murder hornets, you know. But any, anyway, I, I hope this will help you. I hope we'll remember these things. You know, let's, uh, you know, this Genesis 19 is, is a good chapter for New Testament doctrine and these people out there that hate us, that constantly attack our church and are just vile and filthy, they're going to get what's coming to them. And I take comfort in that, and I, I think it's okay to do that. That's why God wrote this. We should read Genesis 19 as a, as a comfort. It's a comfort. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you so much for the examples in your word uh, that prove uh, to us, Lord, that you are going to do what you said you're going to do, and Lord, uh, there, there, there are people out there, Lord, that I'm looking forward to uh, the judgment on them, Lord. But I, I will say, Lord, when it comes to our country, uh, I do, I do want mercy right now, Lord. I understand we deserve it, and that's fine. If you continue to uh, want to pour your wrath out on this country, Lord, you're you're still good no matter what. But I pray you'll help us to uh, just be intercessors and uh, and to make a difference, Lord. I pray that. Uh, we can, we will help wake our country up and help them to see the error of their ways and to get right with you. And I just pray you'll uh, help us to make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen. Well,